Welcome to the Parent Matters Podcast, where we help you navigate the ever-changing landscape of parenting and equip you with tools to competently parent your children. I'm Susan Stutzman, and today we're discussing five things parents need to know about adolescent substance abuse. And to help me do that, I want to welcome Richard Capriola. Richard has been a mental health addictions counselor for over two decades. He worked as an addictions counselor at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas for over a decade, where he treated both adults and adolescents diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse disorders. He's the author of a new book entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here with you today to talk about this issue. I really appreciate you giving me the time to do so. Awesome. Well, before we get started um, with talking about those five things that parents need to know, can you share with your listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became passionate about helping parents educate themselves on substance abuse? Sure. Um, for, for quite a long time, I worked in the field of education as an education administrator for the state of Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end of that tenure, I began working at a, a mental health crisis center in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, and we would have patients come to us from the emergency room for, uh, to, to stay at the crisis center. And I noticed that a number of those patients who had mental health issues also had a substance abuse issue. So I went mm-hmm. back to the University of Illinois and obtained a master's degree in addictions counseling. Mm -hmm. I continued to work at the crisis center for a while until I was offered the job at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. And I worked at Menninger for over a decade uh, with both adolescents and adults who were diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issue. I was hired to be an addictions counselor. Uh, So my focus was on the addiction side of, of, of the treatment plan. But in doing so, I met so many parents uh, that when I sat across from them and and went over their child's history of using substances, they would look at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. Mm. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So I wanted, after I retired from Menninger, I wanted to create a resource for parents that would be very concise, that was not filled with a lot of jargon and a lot of scientific information, but something that a parent could sit down and read fairly quickly. It only runs about 100 pages and mm-hmm. yet get the, uh, the essence of adolescent substance abuse. They would know what substances were out there. They would know what warning signs to look for. They would know how the brain reacts to substances and how these substances work in their child's brain, and they would know what assessments and what treatment options are available. So I packed that all into my book. And it's and it is jam packed with great knowledge. So I'm really glad that you're on the show and that you are wanting to share your expertise not only through written word but also here on the podcast. So thank you. Um, and before we jump in, can you just define for our listeners? Um, you know, so that we're all on the same page, what you're referring to when you talk about 
substance abuse? Because we know there's substance use, but what is, yes, what is substance abuse? And maybe talk a little bit about dosage. So, you know, the parents can, we could all be on the same page. Well, it's a very difficult fine line to, 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 to obtain. And, and, and really, when it comes to an adolescent, some, some kids will just use a substance every once in a while. Uh, they may experiment with it. They may find out that they either like it or they don't like it. If they do, they're likely to continue with it. And then they might move to what we would call abusing a substance. Now, when we give a diagnosis, uh, we, we don't diagnose your child as being an addict. That will not be a diagnosis. And I point that out in my book. If your child uh, meets the criteria, they will get a diagnosis which is called substance use disorder, which can be mm -hmm. either mild, moderate, or severe. And which category your child fits in really is determined by the number of negative consequences associated with the child's use. In other words, the more effect that this is having on your child's behavior, the more likely they are to move up that chain from mild to moderate to severe. Many kids will be in the mild or moderate category where they might mm. be using a substance infrequently. The more okay. severe categories, we will see children who are using a substance on a regular basis. I had kids that were using marijuana, for example, multiple times a day. They would use it in the morning, they would use it at lunch, they would use it at night. Those children are more likely to be in the severe category. So uh, a child can very well progress from experimental use to more regular use over a short period of time. Okay. Yeah. No, that's really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you for defining that. Yeah. So mild, moderate, severe, and it really depends on how it's used and how they're, it's affecting their um, them in day-to-day -day life. Exactly. If, that's, that's, okay. that's a perfect way of putting it. Awesome. Okay, well, how about let's just jump in. So five things parents need to know about adolescent substance abuse. The first thing um, we want to talk about are what drugs are teens using today? Well, teens continue to gravitate so towards alcohol and marijuana. Those are the two primary substances that we find kids using. There is some experimentation in things like LSD, where maybe 4% of seniors are using LSD, cocaine, 3% of seniors, things like Oxycontin and Vicodin are less than 2%. Uh, there is some abuse of Adderall and prescription medications, but generally less than 5% of seniors. Primary drugs continue to be alcohol and marijuana. But the alarming statistic that we have noticed in the last three years has been a dramatic increase in what's called vaping. Vaping of mm -hmm. nicotine and vaping of marijuana. For example, three years ago, the number of of, of teenagers, of seniors, who were vaping nicotine was 18%. Today it's mm. 34%. So it's gone from 18 to 34%. Marijuana vaping in the last three years has gone from 9% of seniors to 22% of seniors. So there's been a dramatic increase, a surge in adolescents who are turning to vaping these substances. Yeah, and you know, I uh, just on that topic, I know that um, 
as far as nicotine usage is concerned, in the state of Illinois, I know uh, recently, whether it was last year or the year before, I, I'm sorry, I can't recall um, off the top of my head, but I know Governor Prisker signed into law that um, we're, that you're not allowed to sell nicotine to anyone 21 and younger, or younger than 21. However, you're allowed to use it at age 18. Can you, do you... Um, have any, uh, you know, tips for parents or thoughts on this as we're talking about it? Because I, about selling, the selling and the usage of vaping and nicotine, especially because it is illegal and yet so many, 36%, I mean, that's a lot. Yes, it is. Um, So how is that happening? And, And can you share a little bit so parents can understand um, what type of warning signs or what clues to know that their kids are doing this or um, what to watch for? Well, I think one of, the, one of the more dangerous features of vaping is how easy it is for kids to conceal their use. Many of mm. these vaping devices, you, you would look at them and, and as a parent, you might not even recognize what it is. Some of them are in the shape of a USB drive, for example. Uh, some of them look like pins. So it's very difficult, I think, for a parent who may not be knowledgeable about these devices to even recognize them uh, and, 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 and difficult for teachers also to recognize them, which allows kids to be able to sort of fly under the radar and be able to use these substances. In terms of availability, it's no different for these vaping devices than it is for alcohol or marijuana. Kids know that these substances are widely available. And if you ask kids, how how easy is it for you to get a substance like marijuana? 80% of them will tell you, it's really easy for me to get marijuana if I want it. So the Mm -hmm. availability of these substances being readily available is what is driving some of these, some of the use that we're seeing. Yeah, which is, which goes to, you know, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I will say, you know, having these open conversations that are ongoing with our children about um, why we utilize different things and how we utilize them and how they are and their mental health and how important that is um, for parents and kids to have open communication. It is very important to have open communication and to begin to develop that trust so that when you're talking to your child, they don't feel like they're being judged. They don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're being criticized. And that gets back to just communication skills, which all parents Mm -hmm. can learn so that, um, you know, we're we're very good, Susan, when we talk to people and when we talk to our kids, we're very good at hearing their words. We're not so good at hearing their feelings behind those Mm -hmm. words. So parents, can learn the skills. We can all learn the skills so that when we're talking to somebody, whether it's another adult or our child, we're able to hear the feelings behind the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's mot- Yes. It's this sense of what is motivating them to even um, go back, especially if they have a more severe um, diagnosis or, or, you know, the diagnosis is more severe disorder of um, substance use. Yes, so, it- it, you know, if Go ahead. You, if you just that's a good point because if you just focus on the substance use and you're not able to get to the underlying issue, you may never know that your child is smoking marijuana 
to, to, to medicate an anxiety issue. Almost right. all of the kids that I worked with at Menninger, when I asked them to help me understand why they were using marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. Yeah. And I know uh, with kids that I work with that um, utilize substances, a, a lot of the same, what you're talking about. And oftentimes, um, because I am trained in somatic practices, we'll talk about, yeah, what is the, what does it feel like before? And what does it feel like afterwards? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been able to um, obtain that sort of feeling without the substance and then work towards um, how we can, um, you know, find different coping skills for the anxiety and yet it's a long haul. It's hard because it's not instantaneous like a substance often is. Yes, that's true. They, the kids will gravitate, like adults, to the mm -hmm. quick fix. Uh, they have an intolerable thought or an intolerable feeling or an intolerable memory. And, and just like us, kids don't want to sit with that. So if right. they find a substance that gives them quick relief, they're going to gravitate towards it. Yeah. Well, and that leads us to our second question, um, you know, or second thing that we want parents to know or think that they should know. And that is what's the difference between adolescent addiction and adult addiction? There are two differences. Uh, the first difference is in brain development. The adolescent brain, unlike the adult brain, is not fully developed. It's in the process of developing, and that's a process that's going to continue until around age 24, 25 or so. So the first difference is that the adolescent brain is just not fully developed, whereas the adult brain is. And, mm -hmm. and that limits the child's ability primarily in the prefrontal cortex, which is the last part of the brain to get developed. It, 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 it curtails their ability to make good, sound decisions. Mm -hmm. The second difference is in consequences. Adults who have been addicted to substances many times have faced catastrophic consequences as a result of their substance use. They may have lost a marriage. They may have lost a job. They may have been incarcerated. And those are catastrophic consequences. Adolescents, on the other hand, have faced very few consequences. Their biggest consequence mm. is usually their parents coming down on them or restricting them or, mm -hmm. or imposing some type of limitation on them, but nowhere near the catastrophic consequences that a lot of adults have used. So brain development consequences are two big differences between adolescent addiction and uh, adult addiction. Yeah, and, and I just want to point out for our listeners, too, that um, their brain isn't fully developed. And so they also are behaving more in risky behaviors or they're moving towards more risky behavior. And that in turn can cause really detrimental um, results because then they have lower inhibition because their brain isn't as developed logically to think what would the consequence be down the road, right? It's about here and now for adolescents. It's all about here and now. It's, it's, it's living in the moment with, with very little thought of, 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 of negative consequences that might be associated with any of their behaviors, whether it's you know a substance use or, or a risky behavior that they might be doing. They just are not equipped to, uh, to, to go through the process of rationally thinking through that process. So they jump to in-the-moment behavior. Yeah. And so... Um, 
let's, can we talk just a little bit about, I know this isn't a part of the five things parents should know, but just, I feel like this would be a really helpful place to talk about this. Um, as far as how to help um, parents as they are raising smaller children who are going to become adolescents, how would you um, help parents begin to think about um, starting conversations, even with their um, elementary school or um, junior high school student um, child about drug use, about substance use, and about and about mental health and feelings. Um, because, you know, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm curious because I know you have a lot of experience with this. And having sat with so many parents, I would imagine that there's a lot of remorse and, and sadness and potentially even shame or guilt that they didn't know how to um, talk about this prior to knowing that their child was already, you know, head like deep in this. Yeah, it's a very common reaction that I heard was uh, feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, wanting to know how did I miss the warning signs? They were right there in front of me. You know, does that mean I'm a bad parent? What did I do wrong? So much negative talking about themselves and really feeling mm -hmm. guilty about discovering what's been going on. Um, and, and I think that if you have a very young child, a preteen, I think that what's important is to begin to build that communication foundation so that you can start to have that trust with your child. So in the event that your child is having difficulty, maybe they're feeling anxious, maybe they're being bullied at school, uh, mm -hmm. maybe they're, they're having difficulty in any number of areas, that they feel comfortable talking to you about that. So if you have a very young young child. Uh, and even if your child is, is in the late teen years, you can still build that confidence. You can still build that communication channel with your child. That is going to become so important later on in years as your child may be struggling that they feel confident in coming to you and talking to you about what's going on. So I think one of the things, one of the two things I would recommend is work on that communication skill with your child. Mm -hmm. And the second issue is Learn about the warning signs. You don't want to become a parent who later sits across from me and says, how did I miss the warning signs? Learn what those warning signs are. Don't assume that the behavior changes that you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may mm. very well be, but they may also be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface. So learn about those warning signs, pay attention to them, and don't delay acting on them. Okay, so then that leads us right into the third thing that parents need to know. What are the warning signs? Well, in my book, I have warning signs for alcohol use. I have warning signs for marijuana use. I, I list warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder. And there are warning signs listed for a child that might be harming themselves, self-injuring. Mm -hmm. um, those are all separate warning signs that parents need to be aware of. Because many times uh, a child will develop an eating disorder and or be self-injuring themselves and also using a substance as a coping skill. They're, they're 
all coping sure. skills. Yeah. Um, but as a general rule, what I advise parents to do is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. Don't assume okay. that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be, but they also may be an indication that there's something else going on under the surface. So pay attention to those changes you see in your child. For example, you may have a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are declining. You may have a child that used to be very social and outgoing now is is, is very quiet and, 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 and very isolating. You may have a child who used to enjoy participating in sports, no longer likes to participate in sports. You may mm. have a child who you knew who their friends were. They introduced you to their friends. You may have even known who their parents were. Now becomes very secretive about their about their friends. Mm -hmm. These are examples of warning signs that parents need to pay attention to. And the more of these warning signs you see as a parent, the more likely that there's something underneath the surface going on. So, so pay attention to the warning signs and act on them. Yeah. And I think this is a really great um, time to just say, uh, you know, to just add a disclaimer here that the topics discussed on this podcast should be considered a matter of personal opinion and they don't reflect professional advice. But if you or your child is in need of mental health counseling support or addiction support, please search out a licensed counselor. Um, because again, just like you said, Richard, there are so many different signs and it's important to really find out what's going on with your child. And there are general signs, but there are also specific signs. And um, like you said in your book, right, there's categories for different things. And so we don't want to, um, we don't want anyone to assume that this is, you know, mental health advice. We're talking about this, but there's always, there's always different things. There are co-occurring things. There's, um, it's really important that we are um, making sure that we uncover what is truly going on with children. And um, yeah, it's and abuse, substance abuse is oftentimes something that is happening um, because something else is is going on deeper. So we're trying to to work through that. So our fourth. Um, thing that we really believe that parents should know is that there is a relationship between often between and and I, I guess I want to clarify this too Richard is there always or is it just often that there's a relationship between adolescent substance abuse and mental health it's not always there are kids who are just using a substance and there is no underlying mental health issue. They may be using it just because they enjoy getting the feeling. They may be using it because they want to associate with peers who are using and there is no underlying mental health issue. Uh, but for other kids, there is an underlying mental health issue that they are using a substance to medicate. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be trauma of some kind, um, mm -hmm. it might be a, a, an emerging personality disorder. It could be many different factors. And that gets to the point of if you suspect your child is using a substance, you need to get a comprehensive assessment. You need yeah. more than just the addictions assessment because what mm -hmm. you're looking for is to either rule in or rule out whether or not there's an under lying condition that that child might be using a substance to medicate. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I love that you, thank you so much for saying that, because I, you know, I mean, I see kids that have um, focus issues, and they're, and they're utilizing nicotine to help them, you know, like, I mean, it's, again, but they also, there are other children that struggle with depression, or um, with anxiety, and they're utilizing alcohol, or they're utilizing um, marijuana, and again, um, it's not that one is the preferred drug of one mental health issue <laughs> over the other, you know, it's like, there's a lot. And cause these, cause each, each substance has different components that interact with our body in different ways. And so not everyone is going to have the same reaction um, with a substance as another. No, the child is likely to experiment with different substances. And once they find the one that gives them the relief they want, that's the one that they're going to hold on to. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but as a parent, what you want assurance of is that you have gotten a comprehensive assessment, that you've covered all the bases. And if you find out that there's no underlying issue, that's great. You can, you can rest assured then that, there, that your child is not suffering from, say, anxiety or depression. On the other hand, if, if the comprehensive assessment shows shows that your child would benefit from treatment, not just for for substance use, but also for, say, anxiety or depression, then then you know that and you can construct a treatment plan that will address both issues. And where do you where where did you most often send um, children or adolescents um, for those comprehensive evaluations? Because I know there's there's psychiatric evaluations, but there's also um, you can go to your doctor. Um, yeah, just tell us tell the parents tell the listeners a little bit about um, your thoughts on on how to even go about getting a comprehensive evaluation if you think this is. Um, going on with your child? Well, I worked at Menninger Clinic, so so parents would send their children to Menninger Clinic to one of our assessments units, and they would go through a three-week comprehensive assessment where they would they would meet not only with an addictions counselor like myself, but they would meet with a psychiatrist, they would meet with a social worker, and they would meet with a psychologist. So we could put together all of these comprehensive tests. Not everybody can afford to do that. So what I usually recommend is if you need assessment, you have several sources that you can go to that can give you recommendations. You can go to your family physician. They often can give you referrals. You can talk to the school counselor. They may be able to give you resources and referrals. You can go to your local mental health association and you can find referrals from there. Uh, so there are a number of sources that you can turn to to, to, to get these assessments. And my, my chapter on assessments will sort of guide you in terms of, okay, what, what assessments do you need. And, and you can use that sort of as a blueprint for what type of referrals do I need to get from these professionals. That That's really helpful. And I will say um, a multidisciplinary practice or approach like Menninger Clinic um, is possible in any state where anyone is listening. But again, like you said, um, you know, financially and even availability or um, proximity can often uh, play a role in that. And, um, and so there are many options. Um, you, you know, there's, and there's different, different ways to go about getting help. So that's, that's really helpful. And I know you mentioned your book, and I just want to say that in the show notes, there will be a link to um, Richard's website, which um, will give you more information about his book, as, um, as well as, um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it's available on Amazon. 
through and and through Kindle, and it's really affordable. So almost every parent um, should pick this up. I would say um, it's again, like you said, it's comprehensive, um, limited jargon, and uh, really helpful. And only ninety nine cents as the Kindle version um, to make it affordable for every parent. Um, if you're interested, uh, again, the link is in the show notes. But um, it is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. And um, Richard, I before we end today, I just want to ask, you know, the, as far as the pandemic, how has the pandemic impacted adolescent compulsive behaviors and mental health? And what as the last and fifth thing, what should parents know about how this pandemic has impacted the adolescent's behavior? <laughs> I, I think parents are seeing not only how it's impacted themselves, but also how it's impacted their children. And I think, mm. uh, sadly, <clears throat> we're, we're just scratching the surface on the mental health ramifications of this pandemic for both adults and for, 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 uh, for adolescents. And, and, and we're going to be dealing with this mental health issue uh, related to the pandemic for a long, long period of mm-hmm. time, yeah. uh, both now and as kids reintegrate themselves back in the traditional school setting. Mm. The, mm-hmm. the CDC has, has noted that since the pandemic, there has been a 24% increase in the number of emergency room visits by grade school children. And there's also been a dramatic increase, over 30% increase in uh, for teens who are in need of urgent mental health care. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this pandemic has has impacted the mental health of adolescents as well as adults. And kids are are left at home. They're struggling with uh, depression, isolation, loneliness, being detached from their friends and from their regular activities. And I think we're going to be dealing with this mental health ramification for a long, long period of time. Yes. Yes, I agree. And I think that it it is important to note that um, even though I I would say that we are in the midst of almost a mental health crisis here in in our world due to the pandemic, the long-reaching effects of what it's like to be isolated or to be quarantined for a long period of time with the constant unknown, the fear, the anxiety of our world um, being put upon us, and then also the anxiety of within us um, coming out is really, yes, like you said, the we don't know the full extent of what that will, um, that how that will play out. However, um, the impact on not only mental health, but also physical health um, due to the, you know, extreme, when you're anxious, all that it does in your endocrine system and all that it does, you know, inside of your body somatically, all of that is um, is just a, another added layer and component. And so knowing warning signs, being able to talk about things is really important. And f- through the lens of neuroscience, we know that naming things 
um, or talking about them can help to begin to resolve some of that anxiety. And so communication isn't just a nice thing to to think about, it actually is one of the ways that we can begin to promote good mental health and coping skills is to be able to have open and honest conversations. And, and, and that can be really difficult, but there is, there are ways to learn that as parents, as well as children. Um, There's some really great resources out there on um, ways to begin communication or if you struggle with that with your children. Um, and Richard, before you go, I'm curious if you have any resources. I know your book um, is a great resource, but do you have any favorite resources for parents on um, starting or continuing conversations um, about touchy subjects like um, substance abuse um, and also just aiding in um, healthy conversations on a regular basis. Yes, I do. Uh, There is a companion parent workbook uh, that goes with the primary book. The primary book. Look at you. You already already have it. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, it it comes from me working with so many parents. But the primary book is educational. It's it's to give parents information. But but like I said earlier, parents need help too. So Mm -hmm. I put this very brief parent workbook together that has a number of exercises in it where um, they can write through their thoughts and their feelings. Uh, they can they can look at the drugs that their child has been using, how it's affected them as a parent. It has some exercises on how to deal with anxiety, and it has a very brief exercise or, or I guess, information on how you can communicate with your child by focusing on feelings, not just words. So -hmm. that parent workbook is also available on the website as well and through Amazon. Awesome. Great. Well, what a wonderful resource. I, I, I guess I, I saw that and, um, and I, I didn't actually get a chance to look at it. So I'm going to, I will get a hold of a copy. Okay. um, (laughs) Great. uh, The workbook, but I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. And, um, and, Richard, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have further questions um, or they just want your recommendations, how can they get in touch with you? Go to the website, www.helptheaddictedchild.com. You'll see book endorsements. You'll see book awards. You'll see um, uh, reviews that have been posted. Um, and you can, you can order the book through the website. It'll actually just take you to Amazon. But there's also a link where you can contact me and send me a message too. Awesome. Well, Richard, it has been a pleasure to be able to talk to you. I know that um, it's been helpful to clarify some things for me, and I know that our listeners um, have really benefited from this. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Susan, and I uh, appreciate your time in speaking to me. I also appreciate your insights and your and your thoughts uh, about this issue, too, because I think it, it added so much to the conversation. So thank you for your contribution, and thank you and your team uh, for helping put this together. Great. Well, all right, folks, thank you so much for listening. And if you found this conversation useful, subscribe to the podcast And please join me next time for the Parent Matters podcast. And remember, don't parent alone.